0: Turpentine is excited to announce our new show, the AI Daily Brief, hosted by Nathaniel Whittemore. The AI Daily Brief is a daily show that covers all things AI, from legislation to new technologies in the market, to the philosophical and ethical debates around generalized intelligence. If you're looking for an edge to stay up to date on everything AI, subscribe to the AI Daily Brief at the link in the description.
1: What's the price tag you would put on rationalizing American democracy? Priceless. (laughs) A U.S. senator said to me that uh, we're now at a point where an issue is worth more to us unaddressed than addressed. Because if I don't address it, I can get you mad. I can raise money. I can get votes. What happens if I lean across the aisle and try and solve it? I I take a beating. I get attacked as working with the enemy. I'm ideologically impure. My job security goes down. So you have these two sides that now benefit from just uh, inflaming and pleasing the most extreme 10 to 12%. And then you have media organizations who separate us into ideological tribes. And then yes, you have social media pouring gasoline on the whole thing. The, the extremes are just going to get more and more powerful uh, until we can turn their volume down via something like, you know, mass adoption of ranked choice voting, where these people get capped at a certain percentage, but can't break through to a majority. By the way, they're figuring this out in reverse too, where they're like, wait a minute, Like, I like just having my sliver of a sliver, and then, you know, I can whipsaw everything. And if you subjected me to actual popular approval, like, I wouldn't do so well, because, you know, I'm a maniac.
0: If you don't already subscribe to Turpentine's industry-leading newsletters, like our new daily AI newsletter, Emergent Behavior, or Media Empires, you should. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. The platform we use to power these newsletters is called Beehive, and it's excellent. First of all, it was started by the same early team who helped build Morning Brew into a $75 million newsletter business. And they built Beehive to offer that same powerful functionality to anyone sending emails from essayists to business owners. The platform is beautiful, their text editor is intuitive, and they help you scale your audience with custom growth features. Beehive has powerful tools to help you monetize your content. You can easily launch paid subscriptions or pursue an advertising model. The Beehive platform will even connect you to premium brands to sponsor your newsletter. Not only do we use them, but thousands of the top newsletters in the world also use them, like Milk Road, Blockworks, The Lindy Newsletter, and so many more. Beehive's founder hooked up upstream listeners with a sweet deal. Get 20% off for three months with code Upstream. Visit beehive.com, that's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com to get started. Hey, everybody. I want to recommend a couple other shows that we also run. One is Moment of Zen, which I co-host with Dan Romero and Antonio Garcia Martinez. We talk about everything from tech to history, philosophy. We've also featured Mark Andreessen and Balaji on those podcasts, so I recommend you checking them out. My other show is Cognitive Revolution, It's an AI show that I co-host with Nathan LeBenz. I recommend listening if you wanna stay up to date with all things AI. Andrew Yang is a former founder of Venture for America and former candidate for president of the United States. He's now focused on introducing a third party to our two-party political system. We talk about why politics is broken and how to fix it, the current political landscape gearing into 2024 elections, and an inside look as to what's involved in running for president and what he would have done differently. We also talk about universal basic income, fixing California, and fixing media polarization. Andrew, welcome to Upstream. Thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Great to be here, Eric, it's
0: been too long. Yeah, absolutely. So by by way of introduction, uh, you're working on The Forward Party, and you wrote a great book about why we need a third party. Talk about when you realized that the two-party system was irredeemably broken. And that you couldn't change it from the inside and had to do it from outside.
1: You know, Eric, I'm kind of embarrassed to say uh, it clicked for me after my presidential campaign. Uh, So I I came off the trail in 2020 still feeling very despondent and negative about the direction of American politics. Even though, frankly, my campaign overachieved its uh, expectations, my expectations. And so I started doing research and digging into the numbers. And here are a couple of numbers since I imagine most of your listeners are numerate. Uh, what do you <laughs> yep. think the uh, the approval rating is for U.S. Congress right now? Uh, really bad, 40% I don't, I don't 50%. 22, 22%. <laughs> oh, my God. What do you think the re-election rate is for individual members? Uh, 90%, I don't very high. 94%, <laughs> which is a better win rate than the Kevin Durant-era Golden State Warriors. <laughs> uh, so then you ask yourself, and, and most people listening to this are, Techies are business people. And so imagine if you had uh, a company that was pissing off four to five customers, and then you changed absolutely nothing. Uh, And so you look at it and you say, well, how can this be? And the reason is that 90% of the congressional districts in the US are drawn to be either blue or red. Uh, You know, if you get to the general, it's going to be a Democrat or Republican. So the only way that an individual legislator can lose his or her job is not to lose a general like the general is unlosable. Uh, The only way you can lose your job is if you get primaried from within your own party, which means that you have to placate and please the most extreme 10 to 12% of voters. uh, And that's why our legislators seem so out of whack or out of step. And a lot of the folks watching this or listening to this have met these legislators in person and they seem pretty reasonable. Uh, But then you place them in a system where all of their incentives are to placate the extremes, you get two extremes yelling at each other. And here's the darkest part, is that a U.S. senator said to me that uh, we're now at a point where an issue is worth more to us unaddressed than addressed. Because if I don't address it, I can get you mad. I can raise money. I can get votes. What happens if I lean across the aisle and try and solve it? I, I take a beating. I get attacked as working with the enemy. I'm ideologically impure. My job security goes down. So you have these two sides that now benefit from just uh, inflaming and pleasing the most extreme 10 to 12%. And then you have media organizations who separate us into ideological tribes. And then, yes, you have social media pouring gasoline on the whole thing. And all of this gets worse, not better. So this is what I figured out in 2020. And I said, how the heck do you interrupt this dynamic? How do you change it? It's getting worse. Uh, And I realized that you can't do it from within the system. Uh, the best way to do it would be to get rid of the party primaries and install an all-party primary with ranked-choice voting. Now, that sounds like magic or impossible, but it's been done in three states now, Maine, Alaska, Nevada. And in Alaska, uh, you saw immediate results where Sarah Palin loses to Mary Paltola. Lisa Murkowski survives despite voting to impeach Trump because there's no Republican primary. So uh, converting Alaska to no-party primaries costs $6 million to convert Nevada, and it's a two-step process, cost $17 million in 2022. What's the price tag you would put on rationalizing American democracy? Priceless. (laughs) Well, you know, we're spending $8 billion (laughs) every four years hating each other. So what would you invest to try and cure it? Um, So this is what I figured out, believe it or not, you know, like uh, 2020, and then I said, okay, I get it. This can't happen from within the two-party system. You need a third force, and that's when I started the Forward Party. And as we're having this conversation, the Forward Party is now the third most resourced uh, political party in the U.S. Now, I will admit there's a very steep drop off between two and three. <laughs> but hey, you know, we've been at this for a, for a year and a half. Um, and there, at this point, 50% of Americans say they're independents. Most of the people who are watching this or listening to this just think, okay, whatever's going on is not working. And you would never accept this in your company, in any other context. But we're try, they try and condition us to be like, "Oh no, this is appropriate in politics. It's not, and it's gonna gonna lead us to disaster." So that—that's why I, I started forward.
0: And why have third parties traditionally uh, third party candidates done so poorly? And 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 what needs to be different for for them to actually have a have a chance? You know, some people say there's kind of this efficient, you know, uh, kind of market hypothesis for politics, where it's just. You know, fifty on one side and fifty on the other, and that's just h- how it ends up. But, but you, you think I probably it's more structural. Like, why haven't they done well, and what would need to happen for to
1: really compete? Well, the the, the main reason why it's so hard to compete is that we have this uh, archaic plurality voting system where you get one vote, I get one vote, and then whoever gets the most votes It has so many problems. Um, but the the main problem is that it blocks out any new entrant uh, as like the the spoiler. And so if you convert to ranked choice voting in all party primary, then anyone can vote for anyone. And then you would see more dynamism, more competition. And even if it was the Republican or Democrat who won anyway, their incentives would be dramatically better because instead of just pleasing the 10 to 12% on the side, uh, you actually have to serve 51% of the population, which is what we pretend is happening now, but is not. That's why you wind up with these policies that just seem so out of step.
0: Let's say you're, if you're running again, do you believe that you have a better chance of, of, of winning as a, as a third party candidate? Or that even if you win under the, let's say, the Democratic Party, that, you know, it's still a broken system and you can't really make the change that, that you want to
1: have? Well, one of the jokes I tell, but it's not a joke, it's serious, is that I prefer good people to not good people. I prefer moral people to immoral people. But we have to get over this mythology that if I get a good moral person into office, then our problems are solved. I mean, at this point, we have to have the experience to know, look, you get a good person in the system, and then their hands are tied, and we continue to be frustrated, and the pendulum swings, and the rest of it. At this point, the most important thing we can do is cure the system. So the question is, how do you activate a popular movement around curing the political system of its bad incentives? Uh, And... The, the answer is to do away with party primaries, which, in my opinion, if you had $250 million, you could get it done in, uh, you know, uh, five to eight states. Uh, and then imagine 12 U.S. senators walking around that didn't have party primaries anymore. Uh, I know for a fact that half a dozen senators have gone to Lisa Murkowski on the floor of the U.S. Senate and said, we envy you so much you don't have a primary. Because if you don't have a primary, you could actually do what you think is right instead of being like, "Okay, what the heck does the base think?" Uh, and and I've interacted with the bases of both parties, and let me just say that they're not, you know, they're not the common sense majority on a lot of fronts.
0: What is the relationship between money put in and and these laws changing? Like, uh, educate a, a you know non uh, insider audience of h- how that actually works.
1: Uh, it's so fun, man. So this is what I, I figured out. There are 25 states in the country that allow you to change the primary system via ballot initiative. So Nevada is illustrative. Um, so $17 million was invested on getting this ballot initiative on the ballot in Nevada. And the first advertisement uh, was a military veteran looking straight to camera saying, hey, I went overseas to defend the country. I came home. I can't vote in our primaries. And I don't think that's right. And the average Nevada looked up at that, that like that guy really should be able to vote. Now, uh, the Democratic Party in Nevada spent seven figures uh, on legal challenges to this ballot initiative, saying it's it's illegal, it's unconstitutional. They lost because it was totally legal, um, but we had – or the, the party the, – the parties behind this ballot initiative had to spend – uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars on legal fees, defending it, had to spend seven figures getting it on the ballot, and then spend millions on that advertisement and getting that advertisement in front of Nevadans. So uh, both parties came out against this ballot initiative, but it won anyway, fifty three forty seven, 47 because most Nevadans were like, wait a minute. Shouldn't I be able to vote for whom I want? And shouldn't that military vet be able to vote for who he wants? Uh, And the counter argument from the Democrats was no, no, no. It would be too confusing to (laughs) to have uh, the ability to vote for anyone of any party. So there are 25 states that allow for ballot initiatives of this kind. Nevada is typical in terms of the resources required. So you're looking at 20 million or so to have a shot in, let's call it Missouri or uh, Utah or um, uh, any of the other ballot initiative states. And then the other 25 states are legislative states, which means the state uh, reps have to pass it. Now, that seems very, very difficult. Um, but we had uh, there's this massive groundswell in Minnesota where they're looking at it. The governor of Connecticut came out for it last year, and that's a legislative state. Uh, and this is one reason why forward is so important, because imagine if five to 10 percent of Americans who are sort of swinging in in the middle, raise their hands and said, hey, uh, what we want most of all is for the system to get fixed. And then, if you have close race like in Connecticut, then the powers that be say, like, how do I get your five to ten percent? Like, you know, go behind ranked choice voting and, and no, uh, you know, and, and no more stranglehold. Like, you know, I, I guess I might have to hear you out because you might be the swing vote. If you even look at twenty twenty four, the presidential, there are going to be eight swing states uh, that decide everything. It's going to be uh, Arizona, Nevada. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, New Hampshire, and Georgia. So imagine if you had half a million swingy independents in those uh, eight states that said, we'll support whichever party gets behind ranked choice voting and getting rid of party primaries. Uh, you know, like you maybe swing the whole thing. So that is the, the path. But if you had a couple hundred million dollars, you could take state by state shots in places like Nevada with, in my opinion, real success.
0: Yeah. So is, is that the sequencing of your plan to try to make what happen, what you guys did in Nevada in, you know, a dozen or so states uh, to get, uh, you know, uh, do away with primaries as you mentioned, plus, um, and then try to pull off ranked choice voting. Like, take us to, you know, step two and step, step three. Like, w- what happens after this?
1: Well, the fun thing is that the way that the Nevada ballot initiative works is that if you have an all-party primary and then it's decided by ranked choice voting, it's an all-in-one uh, reform. But Nevada's constitution requires you to do it in two steps. So this is going to be on the ballot again in 2024. And I think it's going to take another 17 million because the parties this time are going to be like, oh, my gosh, like the people want this. Like we have to stop this. We we have to make it so that, not, you know, people are under our thumb still. Um, so if we can put this through in Nevada and then get it on the ballot in four or five other states in 2024, Arizona's looking at it. Uh, Utah, you know, if, if you have a bunch of states um, looking at this, let's say you have three out of five pass, um, then we could wake up in 2024. By the way, this would be underreported, too, because the media would all be like, you know, blue, red, blue, red. And then and then you wake up in, uh, you know, in January and you're like, wait a minute. there are now 10 U.S. senators who all of a sudden seem a lot more reasonable and rational because they don't have party primaries anymore. And then you could have this swing coalition in the middle of the Senate. Uh, without even having, for example, like a forward party candidate have to win. This is one of the big misconceptions. So we're trying to cure the incentives. And 2024, to me, is a massive opportunity. But it's also there's a lot at stake because let's say this uh, doesn't happen in, in 2024. We might not have unlimited time before the entire system kind of, you know, frankly, disintegrates.
0: You have an upcoming book that, that imagines what could happen if this system disintegrates, right? Why don't you uh, pl- plug that a little bit and, and talk about what could happen?
1: Well, you know, my, my last book, Forward Notes on the Future of Our Democracy, tries to lay out this case that I'm describing, that it's like the party primaries and the polarization uh, are tearing us apart, and there is no cure from within this system. Um, but stories are very powerful. Uh, and so we decided to, to try and, like, you know, uh, paint a picture where it's like, how does uh, the, 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 last election is the name of this political thriller. Um, like how does the last election look? Uh, you know, and, and there, there are going to be real constitutional challenges probably as early as 2024. So unfortunately it's not very speculative, uh, that this, uh, this novel that, that, um, I co-wrote with a guy named Stephen Marsh, who wrote a book called the next civil war. Um, so that gives you a sense of it.
0: Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. SecureFrame is the leading all-in-one platform for security and privacy compliance. Get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months. I believe in SecureFrame so much that I invested in it and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo and mention upstream during your demo to get 20% off your first year. Now, more than ever, startup founders need a safe place to put their cash. Mercury protects your money and also provides the streamlined user experience that great founders expect. Through partner banks and their sweep networks, Mercury offers up to 5 million in FDIC insurance, which is 20 times the per bank limit. They also make it easy to invest any cash above the FDIC insured amount in a money market fund. 100,000 startups trust Mercury with their finances. I've been a happy Mercury customer and have found their team incredibly helpful and responsive. They even got an important wire out of purgatory on Christmas Eve. After all, your Christmas is my opportunity. Visit mercury.com to get started. Mercury is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group and evolved Bank and Trust members, FDIC. Marketer Hire is one of my favorite resources for growing startups looking to hire marketers. Hiring is hard, and the time it takes from founders can be better leveraged elsewhere. Marketer Hire pre-vets top-notch marketers across a dozen roles. Whether you need help with growth marketing, SEO, lifecycle, content, or any other aspect of growth marketing strategy, it's free to use and you only pay if you end up hiring someone. If you want to hire a great marketer the easy way, Marketer Hire is offering upstream listeners a $1,000 credit for first-time customers. Go to marketerhire.com slash upstream and use code upstream to get your $1,000 credit. And so, yeah, is the is the concern you have is that a, a, the person who wins just tries to keep power forever? Is it that a civil war emerges? Because, like, what is
1: sort of the, the disaster scenario? Well, so I, I want to just paint a picture in real life, which is not what the, the thriller does. It's fine. Joe Biden is probably going to be the Democratic nominee. Donald Trump is probably going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, combined age 159. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 60% of Americans aren't excited about either of those options. So it will show just how ridiculous the two-party system is. But let's say Trump loses. What are the odds of Trump saying, hey, it's stolen, it's fixed, we won, and go protest at your local state capitol? I'm going to suggest that, that's, that's pretty high. Yeah. Um, And so you could have this contested election. You could have various Republicans in Congress, uh, you know, refusing to certify, in part because those Republican members of Congress often get death threats uh, around this. Uh, So when 10 House members voted to impeach Trump uh, after January 6th, that number was 25 or 30 just minutes beforehand. But their phones all blew up with death threats. And then a lot of them stood down. And by the way, of those 10 who voted to impeach Trump, Uh, eight were out of their seats, uh, you know, even before the the general. So Republicans knew it's essentially professionally suicidal uh, to go against Trump. Um, It's one reason why getting rid of these primaries is so important, because Lisa Murkowski, the only Republican senator who voted to impeach Trump, who was also up for reelection in 2022. But because there's no Republican primary, she managed to defeat a Trump-endorsed challenger, who, by the way, would have absolutely wrecked Lisa if it was a Republican primary. Uh, And then the numbers bear that out. But she was like, look, I can go to all Alaskans. And then she managed to win.
0: And and so is the goal ultimately of the Ford Party to have a candidate, let's say in 2028 or something, that that could actually win? Or or is it that would be nice, but it's more important to be a check on the current system such that you have reasonable, you know, more reasonable people
1: in in office? You know, we're we're practical uh, and opportunistic. So uh, there are half a million local races around the country, 70 percent of which are uncontested or uncompetitive. So, you know, can we introduce competition? I was just in California, where I imagine a lot of your listeners are. So so this is super important. California is a one-party state. Uh, it's super majority Democrat, 75% of the legislature. And so let's say you're in San Francisco and you are upset about the open-air drug use or the homelessness, or the public safety problems or what have you. The Democrats in power... Uh, just pat you on the head and say, "Hey, um, you don't have a choice. There's yeah. what are you gonna do? Like there, there's like no Republican, uh, right. you know, um, uh, real threat here. Um, so we're just gonna trade things amongst ourselves, and you know, and and, it, and if things get worse, not better, like you're stuck. And so that that's the the way a lot of Californians feel. So we teamed up with a group in California uh, called the Common Sense Party, uh, cacommonsense.org. and we said, look, let's get the 73,000 uh, registrations necessary to start a new party in California, and then all of a sudden, if that Democrat is not delivering, you can run against them as a common sense party. So, if you ran as a Republican, obviously a lot of people would be like, "No, no, no!" But if it's common sense, then you're like, "I have no idea how to feel about that. Let me dig into Eric and his platform and his policies, and then you'd see they're fairly common sense. And so you're so you can introduce competition into a one party environment that speaks for the majority of the disenfranchised. The same is true in reverse in a place like Missouri, where it's uh, dominated by Republicans. And if you run as a Democrat, it's kind of a waste of time. But if you if you run as forward uh, in Missouri, then people will be like, I have no idea what that is. It's essentially running as an independent. And then you can absorb all of the minority party and then the reasonable chunk of the folks in the middle who are stuck, uh, you know, without an option. So if you're in California and you want to make this happen, Come to cacommonsense.org. You can change your registration, um, and we'll just get past the seventy three thousand. And then by twenty twenty four, there'll be a new ballot line. That, that that's encouraging. It is interesting. Silicon Valley is becoming
0: a lot more aware about politics, partially because of the problems that we've been facing in, in San Francisco. But for for too long, uh, people in tech and, and you know this haven't been in tech have just been too ready, readily to ignore politics and say it's it's beneath them or that you know it's not it's not their problem. But once it you know has kind of been so, so much in their face, they, they can't
1: ignore it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fair. Uh, and they, they look around, so they just expect things to work at a certain level. And as long as things are working at a certain level, you'd be like, yeah, I've got a company to build. I got problems to solve. Exactly. Um, but, but, but then when, you know, you're standing on human feces on the sidewalk, you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> uh, you know, that, like, like something's gone wrong. Uh, and then you look up and be like, why is the system so broken and unresponsive? Um, and, and it's because of a total lack of competition. And they're, they're, they've insulated themselves. Both parties have done it, by the way. Both parties are like, you know what? I prefer a non-competitive environment to a competitive environment. And so if you raise your hand and say, I, you know, I think things are going wrong, they'll they'll caricature you as an agent for, like, the opposite party. And that's why you need a third party. Uh, like, like, forward, just raise your hand and be like, look, I can be unhappy with what you're doing and not be... You know, like in, in, in like a far right or far left uh, lunatic. You know, like like I'm part of the reasonable, exhausted, uh, suppressed majority.
0: Yeah, um, that's a great term. And speaking of competition, let's talk about why there isn't kind of real competition to Biden or Trump, who most of the country doesn't like. Um, I mean, we mentioned some structural reasons, but if you could give any advice to any kind of anti-establishment candidates, such that they would have a better chance. Or, or anti-incumbent uh, uh, candidates, wh- what would that look like?
1: All right. the Democratic Party, the fix is in. Uh, people have been told it is professional suicide to run against Joe Biden because he's an incumbent president. We need him to defeat Trump, et cetera, et cetera. Now, a majority of Democrats, according to polling, are uncomfortable with Biden running again because the man's going to be 82 at the end of 2024. I mean, you know, there's a 44% chance he expires before the end of his second term. And you know, no one's allowed to speak of that. You know, so... so uh, so a lot of people are uncomfortable, but Gov- Governor Newsom, Governor Pritzker, Governor Whitmer, Governor Murphy, all of whom want to run for president, have been told, like, look, stand down and wait your turn. So everyone's just going to clap, clap, clap uh, uh, for Joe, which means that the only people will run are people from outside of the establishment. And then, by the way, the media and the DNC are going to totally ignore and suppress whoever his challengers are. Example, and this is a very, very big example, they haven't even scheduled any debates yet. They're not going to have any debates. You know what I mean? This is going to be Joe, Joe, Joe all the way. Yeah. So that, so that's the Democratic side, even though, you know, again, like, uh, like you know, like uh, 82. And is it
0: because they just think no one, that Biden is the best shot against Trump because he's the incumbent? If they thought that someone else had a better chance, they, they might be encouraging him or just no?
1: They don't even think that way, Eric. You could show a member of the DNC polling being like, hey, you know who does better against Trump? You know, like, uh, like, you know, Governor Murphy. And then they'd be like, "Doesn't matter." Uh, so people underestimate the institutionalization of what's going on. Certainly in a thing like the DNC, I've interacted with the DNC, and these are not exactly like uh, you know independent thinkers and in profiles and courage. You know what I mean? that like, what is their psychology? Like, what what's their incentive to keep Biden? They're they're like the the last of the institutionalists. Uh, you know what I mean? They're just like, <laughs> and, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I, I used a couple words uh, in an interview. They're they're conformist careerists. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's again, it's professionally suicidal for you to raise your hand and be like, "Look, I talked to a lot of people, and they just like think Joe, Joe's, uh, you know, uh, too old in the tooth. We should probably get get <laughs> on with this succession." Yeah. But you know, uh, that that will actually uh, get them cast out uh, of their tribe, um, and so they just keep their hand down, even though privately they're saying the exact same things. By the way, exact same things. It's obvious. um, uh, obviously obviously. Yeah. So, so that's the Dem side. Good times, and then. <laughs> The, the Republican side, Trump has a stranglehold on uh, 40% of the base, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and so uh, anyone who runs against him then has to somehow get the other 60% in a field where there are already half a dozen candidates, and that's going to go up towards a dozen. Um, so the hope was that for some was that it was going to be Ron DeSantis. Um, but, but Ron DeSantis has now stumbled out of the block. He hasn't even declared yet. And, you know, like uh, his, his stuff has fallen. One of the the arguments I made to a friend, which is accurate, is that you might not like Trump or or Trump's uh, thing, but he's a version of a president. And the problem for his opponents is that you look at Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, whoever, it's like you're not sure that they're presidential. Uh, And there's all of this energy that goes into trying to manufacture this presidential quality um, for them. Uh, But... You know, like, it's like, is this a version of a president that millions of Americans are going to get behind? Um, there's a, a creation of a persona that Trump kind of came in with pre bait and, and it's hard to manufacture that level of energy or persona. I experienced this in the this Democratic primary. There were, you know, 24 uh, candidates. The problem is a lot of them could never get above a line where people regarded them as presidential Um, And the energy that goes into, if you remember what happened with Obama, like all of this energy went into elevating him to that level. Um, And so a lot of the Republicans um, can't get that that level of validation.
0: Yeah. The um, some people have compared uh, Vivek Ramaswamy to your campaign. Um, Obviously, you guys are very different, but in the sense that someone, uh, you know, younger, has fresh ideas, can. you know, other people might take some of those ideas in the same way that a lot of people were inspired by your your UBI ideas. And it's someone who might overachieve relative to expectations. Do you think that is possible? And more broadly, what what advice might you have for Vivek?
1: Yeah, um, I I saw that stuff. And I saw the parallels early on. And I liked it, because it seemed like he was coming at it from another angle, and uh, would appeal to a different set. But he's leaned into MAGA stuff, like he's you
0: were trying to be a uniter and he's more, um, you know, uh, taking, really trying to win the party, I guess he's playing to the incentives.
1: Well, I think what happened to Vivek is he actually met the base voters. Um, (laughs) and, and after you meet the base voters, then you're like, okay, I'm in a room full of, uh, you know, uh, dozens or hundreds or maybe even thousands of these folks. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to stick a thumb in their eye. So then I, I I, just, this is, by the way, the trap that everyone's experiencing. It's one reason why this primary system is so distorting. Um, you know, you're, you're around these people, and these people tend to be very ideological in a way that the average American is not. Uh, again, we might wind up with this Biden-Trump rematch, even though majority of Americans don't want it, because we're ceding the ability to nominate to these slivers of the population. You know what percentage of Iowans participated in the Democratic primary I was a part of?
0: Uh, no, how many? Just take a guess. It's fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, 20%, 30%? 6.5. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so we're, we're saying to like a sliver of a sliver of people being like, hey, tell us what you think. Uh, but the, the average person is disengaged and unplugged. To the extent that there's a weakness in this system, Eric, it actually is this presidential nomination process where if you were to have a more modern, accessible nomination process, where let's say you and your friends could vote on your smartphone for who you think the nominee should be, uh, you get millions of Americans to participate in that way and then verify it through a personalized QR code sent to your mailing address, very hard to uh, the game and you scan it and say, hey, congrats, your vote's been verified. And you can vote from New York or California or Pennsylvania, wherever. And then the legacy parties would be left saying, no, 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 that's not real. You know what is real? Waiting to hear what the 6% of Iowans (laughs) think. You know, and they'd be like, wait a minute, that makes zero sense. I don't give a shit what Iowans think the rest of the time. Why do I care this time? Um, So the, the, the parties have a couple of mechanisms to lock the process down. Number one is the calendar nominating states where it's like a very, very small sliver of the population and then the media. That's one reason why someone like Trump has these massive structural advantages. Uh, because you have to go compete among the sliver. And then, you know, someone goes there and is like, holy shit, the slivers were like really, really like into this MAGA stuff. Um, You know, if if you go at it um, as like a reasonable uh, solutions oriented person, like I think uh, there'll be at least one Republican that takes a shot at it. Um, You probably get 15 to 20% of the vote. And I say this because there have been candidates that tried this. Um, in a place like the Ohio Senate race, a guy named Matt Dolan, um, and uh, I think he got about twenty percent.
0: Yeah, the Iowa six percent reminds me of kind of like the Yelp problem, where if a you know your reviews on a restaurant on Yelp, it's mostly the people who either hate it or love it, but it's it's the extremes on both sides,
1: as opposed to you know what does the average person think of this restaurant? That's a reasonable summary with what we're facing, Eric. Uh, and then we have to try and empower the folks uh, who aren't posting Yelp reviews.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm curious for the incentive for the fundraisers, give us a little bit of like my sense, you know, for being an outsider is that people tr- fundraise, uh, you know, some because they're for the good of the system, others, and maybe more so because it's in their self-interest for their company somehow, or like paint a picture of, you know, you mentioned what's the price of rationalizing our democracy. I guess that's the, uh, you know, more, char- uh, you know, uh, good motivated, uh, good motivations, reason to donate.
1: Why is it in people's like self-interest to, to get involved uh, here? So most business people uh, are dismayed by the state of politics. Uh, it's um, making their operating environment all of a sudden um, much uh, more uncertain. It's also tearing their company cultures apart because people are joining their company and then they want the company to engage in politics in a way that you know maybe, maybe they're not into. So a, a lot of business leaders are supporting forward because of what I call enlightened self-interest. Like, you know, how much uh, is it worth to me to have this uh, return to sanity for American politics? And most business people are not super ideological. They just want things to work better. Um, There's a lot of uh, mystery and confusion uh, uh, as to why things are so distorted. And one of the primary messages I want to get out there is like, look, uh, they're distorted because of bad incentives. Uh, Let's fix the incentives and introduce competition into places like California. Uh, And if we get the resources to do so, uh, it's it's a very, very clear path because at this point, half of Americans uh, say they're independent and uh, and everyone's fed up
0: yeah totally and I'm, I'm curious to to what extent there's an opportunity to get more talented people in in office and to what extent that is a, a challenge um, or 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 would make a big difference because you know if you look at programs like Teach for America or Venture for America which which you co-founded and ran for many years what they both did is they raised the the status and career opportunities of pursuing a teaching career or getting involved in a startup in a kind of You know, area like Cleveland or Detroit or you know one of these areas, and so I'm curious if something similar could exist on the on the you know getting political candidates to to run in a way that is almost like YC or something for
1: for for candidates where you get really talented people. Um, So this is a major problem because I know and you know a lot of very talented people who will not run for office in the current environment because they think they're going to get attacked and pilloried and caricatured and and, and the rest of it, which, by the way, is a a very reasonable concern.
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, I mean,
1: (laughs) you know, it's like uh, so. um, So these two things go hand in hand is that if you have a reasonable, rational environment, then you'll get better people running. I, I met with a guy in California this week who wants to run for office, but is in fear of uh, you know, getting uh, caricatured. Uh, by the way, he's also a straight white man, and then there's like this identitarian like element too, where, where it's like you, the consultants will tell you, it's like, well, you know, like you know, like that's <laughs> not going to fly, in in this environment. And so, I told him, it's like, look, if we get common sense, California on the ballot, and you can run as common sense, and then you can just actually be you. You don't have to go in there and pander the the heck to you know like the the, the base. Like you can just represent that that exhausted majority. So uh, so forward curing the system and getting good people to run are all very very much uh, intertwined. Yeah,
0: and I think there needs to be education as well that even if you you know don't win and you get caricatured, you know the process of running and and you're an example of that. And others people examples of it. Is a can be a career accelerator in that you you build this audience, you build this credibility, you build all these skills, um, and while it may sting at certain times, um, you know, even if you don't win, although you're obviously running to win, you know, this can take you in other places as well that you might not have foreseen in advance.
1: Yeah, it's one reason why I think the infrastructure around forward is so important because if you're a democratic candidate and you lose, there's like a holding pen for you. <laughs> to some extent, I mean, it, you know, like they they build a bit of a pipeline. They'll give you a post in the party. Uh, maybe you'll get like an appointment or a media gig or something, and then you, you you get to have another crack. uh And so we need the same thing for forward-minded independents, um, because like you're suggesting, you might not win the first shot out. Most candidates don't, and if you run, you do build. Uh, following and credibility and a track record with a certain group of people that then can transfer to a lot of things.
0: Yeah, totally. Your candidacy overachieved relative to your expectations, but going back and, you know, when you reviewed and reflected, what are things, knowing what you know now, what might have you done differently to have even more success?
1: And and this is another reason why I'm so passionate about what we're building it forward. Uh, I remarked that Democrats are the last of the institutionalists. Um, So... Uh, you can tell that's true by their relationship with the news media. Uh, 69% of Democrats say they have a high trust in corporate media. Uh, you talk to independents, that plummets to 38%. And then among our Republicans, it's 15%. So the relationship with the media is very, very important in a Democratic primary. If I were to run as a Democrat, I would be working the press uh, from day zero, and I, I would get uh, press whisperer, by the way, those people do exist, where they can cajole and use relationships uh, to try and generate neutral uh, coverage where it would have been negative or um, sometimes positive coverage. Um, as someone who is new to the scene, I underestimated the importance of that. Again, there's a lot of institutionalization, and that's definitely true in journalism. Unfortunately, Democratic primary voters really do take their cues from what the media is saying. It's one reason why the fix will be in for Joe so strongly.
0: I'm I'm sure plenty of brilliant people um, who've done very well have reached out to you and said, hey, I'm thinking about running. You know, should I run for something locally? Should I run for something nationally? Let's say this is someone who has been very successful and has an audience already. Um, You know, let's say someone like Charles Sandberg or something, you know, has a national audience. What would you advise someone like that? Like, should they run nationally? Should they run, you know, for for mayor of something? Like when you are giving advice, how do you think about that
1: yeah uh, it it i do get those calls all the time um i enjoy them uh, and um i you know i think it's very much case by case um i i do tend to advise people to um explore why they're running and then make that a reason i think one thing that people really detest nowadays is the sense of careerism in a, a lot of these uh life lifelong politicians um so i said look just have a reason that's deep enough that win or lose, you'll feel really good about your run and then try and run for a position that would genuinely allow you to make a difference uh, uh, like on that cause, on that issue. And then in terms of give more, uh, whether it's mayor or
0: something nationally, say more about what's involved, like what, what's, what's the job like, you know, when do you know if you're doing well, like, uh, you know, what do you need in order to build a real
1: um, candidacy? Well, it's fun, Eric. So I approached um, my presidential campaign as a startup. And so you have your angel funders, which are essentially your friends and family, very much like a startup. Um, Good news for them, a lot of the time, the most they can give you is (laughs) $2,900. And and then you try and, um, you know, find the the next rung of supporters, uh, build a team, have some folks around you that you like and trust. Uh, But the, the... issue that a lot of folks run into if they're running from outside politics is that most of these races are actually controlled by a relatively small number of voters who are going to take their cues from uh, like a, a small set of institutional leaders. And you need an overwhelming level of resources and uh, a compelling message to even have a chance of dislodging that. And even then you will probably fail uh, by, by the numbers. Um, because a lot of the folks who are participating are inertia bound. Uh, the the average uh, democratic primary voter might be something like sixty years old. You know what I mean? So a lot of the folks you and I communicate with, or even use social media or podcast to communicate with, they're going to be a different demographic. A lot of them are not as politically engaged. You have to uh, reach this like the the average mainline voter in that district or community. Um, so that there, and by the way, like those institutions are getting weaker, but they still have a stronghold in a lot of these environments. And so we keep testing it being like, Hey, can someone break through? Can someone break through? There are going to be more and more opportunities. Uh, but right now there's the startup organization building, and then there's this plugging into mature relationships and then you get there and Oh my gosh, there's a person who they, their entire thing is having people kiss their ring so that they can, you know, like, push their people in a direction. Um, but for in, in some of these environments, that's all that matters. Like, all the other stuff you do will, will be secondary. And we saw it in the Democratic primary where nothing mattered until uh, Jim Clyburn said, hey, we're going by to South Carolina. And then, like, you know, 60% of South Carolinas are like, all right, Jim says so, let, let, let's do it. And then Joe Biden can get wrecked in all the states that preceded that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's interesting. I, I heard a story about how an early employee at Stripe uh, found AOC um, and either managed her or worked with her and, and was partly responsible for her success. Although, of course, she's a you know a natural media star herself. I'm, I'm curious, how much can it be like, hey, we're looking for someone with these demographics or these policy issues, and that's likely to succeed? Or is it like if you were truly the YC, as in you were like, you know, backing candidates, or is a lot of it just kind of, um, I don't want to say random, but emergent or impossible to to predict
1: what will work. You know, you can certainly make a difference. Um, th- there are a lot of people that would be immensely gratified to be asked to run. People just love to be asked. You know what I mean? Uh, like if I if I would you'd be like, "Oh, you should run for this," like a lot of people would be like, "Maybe I should run for yeah, that." Yeah, totally. And and then when they get interested, then they they uh, need some guidance, uh, how to build a team, what the first thing to do are, the the people are in that area. That's one reason why there's this freaking small army of consultants who just traffic um, in in these things. And, uh, you know, the, it's, it's like you'd imagine where um, a lot of it is bullshit, but like some of it's important and then you have to really kind of parse through wh- which is which. Um, so if we had the institutional framework, which by the way, Forward is building in real time. Um, we could 100% enable and empower candidates who might not run otherwise or uh, might not have as good a shot. Any independent candidate, and this is one thing that we 100% are solving for, every independent candidate has had to come up with this in square one. Like if I'm an independent candidate in, for Congress in uh, Arizona, named Clint Smith, by the way, it's this is a real example, uh, like wh- who's on my team? Like who are my consultants? And a lot of the assets and resources Are blue or red? You know, it's like there's like the Democratic consultancies and the tech vendors and the data and then there's the Republican versions. So if you're an independent, you're like, okay, like, what do I do with any of this? And then let's say you have an independent candidate in Georgia, like, you know, the next cycle, like, do they learn from what happened with Clint Smith? You know, Um, so Ford wants to be there for those candidates and then say, okay, here's what you're trying to do. Not going to lie. It's not going to be easy. But here are like the lessons learned. Here's how to maximize your chance of success. uh, And here's how we can help.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I I love that you guys are building the infrastructure. I wonder if there's something unique about Trump or uniquely polarizing, obviously, and when the Trump saga is over, you know, whenever that is, who knows when that is, but something like forward will be even that much more palatable or possible because politics will have somewhat normalized beyond the kind of, you know,
1: reality show. Well, Eric, this is the thing that I think people have to recognize. Trumpism will outlast Trump. Trump has unleashed something in uh, American politics that is persistent and it's getting stronger, not weaker. Tim Urban uh, called it essentially low-rung politics uh, and it's not unique to the right. I mean, there is a left version of it. Um, uh, and... Uh, he he calls them the golems. Essentially, the golems have been unleashed, uh, and there are all of these Republican figures who looked at Trump's rise and been like, "Hey, maybe if I act Trumpy, uh, you know, I, I can go somewhere with this thing," and the base will still reward that. The base has gotten an appetite for it, and it's not like after Trump fades, they'll be like, "You know what? I need another Mitt Romney type." You know what I mean? <laughs> like that—that's that, not happening. So yeah. the the extremes are just going to get more and more powerful uh, until. We can um, turn their volume down via something like, you know, mass adoption of ranked choice voting, where these people get capped at a certain percentage but can't break through to a majority. By the way, they're figuring this out in reverse too, where they're like, "Wait a minute! Like, I like just having my sliver of a sliver, and then, like, you know, I can whipsaw everything. And if you subjected me to actual popular approval, like, I wouldn't do so well because, you know, I'm a maniac. So, like, so, <laughs> so, so there. But that, but." Uh, people should not have no illusions that Trumpism will die out uh, w- when Trump leaves the scene.
0: Well said. I, I'm going to have Tim on and I'm going to ask him this question, too, um, in a couple weeks. But this idea of like, even if we were able to, you know, turn the tone down and move to a more higher rung politics, is it possible that the country is is is. Substantly, just divided on things that are so core to everyday life of, you know, what do we teach our kids about race or teach them about gender or, or you know, uh, pro-choice for life or like these fundamental issues that, you know, it's almost like Sunni and Shade or something like we're, we're just different people and we can't can't unite.
1: Uh, the, the numbers indicate very much otherwise, uh, Eric. Uh, the numbers indicate that um, you have uh, really 10 to 13 percent on each side that's engaging in this uh, ideological conflict. Um, most of us are just watching it being like, what the heck is going on? Uh, you know, and, um, but because of the the current, um, media environment and social media environment and political incentives, we are amplifying, uh, the 10 to 13% on either side. And if we gave everyone equal sway, then you know what they, these people would be fringe, (laughs) you know, like, like statistically. Uh, so, um, so, so that is the challenge. Now, I, I want to say that these forces have been building in strength for uh, a long time, and this is going to be a rough time, no matter what. Like, if we did everything right, it would be a difficult time to manage. But we're not doing anything right right now. We're just kind of like fumbling along and being like, "Oh, their fault, their fault," uh, and, and we're we're going to see ourselves in really uh, desperate, terrible circumstances. Uh, so let's try start trying to do things right. Uh, and uh, I, I will make a personal appeal that there, there are a lot of folks in tech and business who see what's going on and are very displeased by it, um, but they're not sure what the answer is. Um, and, and I'm going to say to you, look, this system uh, has rotten incentives uh, it, and it's going to stay dysfunctional. It's going to get worse. Um, it's up to folks like us to invest in doing what we would do for our own businesses or operations in the American political system. And if you want to join us in doing that, please do uh, reach out to me personally or go to forwardparty.com. Um, but let's get this shit done because if we don't, we're going to see an unrecognizable country in a, a short period of time.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great uh great great call and I hope my audience does a couple more questions. One is is there a path to do what you're doing for politics but for media as well? Uh introduce more competition on like decidedly middle uh, middle, you know, um, more neutral issues or, or central issue, enlightened c- centrism, such that it could keep the, the major networks in check? Or is it more challenging? me? How, how do you see that?
1: I, I've explored this a great deal, Eric, and I do write about this somewhat um, in forward. Um, so here, here are the problems. The cable news networks have found that the more, the more comfort food I give you, the more likely you are to come back to me. And if I do something challenging or deliver the straight news, you just change the channel. Uh, you know, C-SPAN has much lower ratings than um, MSNBC and Fox. And by the way, MSNBC and Fox also uh, have um, their own ratings challenges. I mean, it's a tough media environment. So they're just getting more and more desperate uh, to please people. So if if you had like a straight up uh, centrist cable news channel, the numbers would be tough. Um, So if you look around for ways to, to cure this, um, I think it starts with uh, leaders in independent media, uh, because there are a bunch of journalists that uh, people follow um, who are like, oh, look, I might not believe in these channels, but I do believe in this reporter who like I read their stuff and I, I believe. Um, and, and so you would want to build uh, like a constellation of these independent voices. Um, but the issue, though, is if you're a successful independent journalist, there is no reason why you would join anything because you're like, look, the people value me for my independence. Um, And and so you'll wind up with this federation um, uh, effect. Um, I was exploring a way to try and bring all this together because this is a a big part of the problem. And so I was exploring doing it via SPAC. And uh, because one of the only ways you could bring a lot of these independent folks to the table is if you made it worth their while. Um, But the successful among them are already making millions of dollars a year. Um, And value their independence. So, uh, you know, like, it's a really interesting problem. Um, It's something where there's theoretically an appetite for, you know, something that's like, uh, you know, like, independent and nonpartisan, Uh, but the form it, it takes in real life is individual thinkers.
0: We're talking on the day of, uh, you know, Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson just leaving, uh, you know, CNN and Fox, respectively. Not that they are the, you know, paragons of, of moderateness, but um, you know, I, I suspect they'll start new media enterprises, or, or th- so it'll be interesting to see how media shakes out more broadly. Well,
1: uh, so that the media, and, and this is something I, again, I want people to understand is like, look, these organizations are just doing what is in their incentives. Like, if 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 I give you a very consistent message, you'll come back for more. I can get advertisers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, New York Times, it's like, you know, like they, f- they figure this out. It's like, if I give you what you want. So so how do you create a different set of incentives? Uh, and I, I do think, though, that in order for Forward to be um, a political movement that reaches its potential, we need various, uh, like aligned media orgs. I, I want to close on uh, on the idea that you're most known for, UBI. And and,
0: and and so I have two related questions. One is, it turns out AI is perhaps coming for the creative fields, the ones we thought were, were safest, uh, you know, the artists, the writers, et cetera, you know, maybe sooner than the truckers and the, and the blue collar. So if AI comes for white collar work first, how does that change the politics of it? And, and separately, I'm curious what you think of the idea of a UBI tied to the S&P 500 or, or some kind of measure of corporate success such that corporates
1: rising also signals, uh, you know, uh, is, is aligned with the American people. I'm for trying to tie uh, a dividend to uh, it could be um, economic growth and productivity. It could be uh, corporate success in, in the way you're describing. Um, someone t- suggested tying it to cloud computing, which could be a proxy for AI in various ways. Um, and the politics uh, are shifting in that people see ChatGPT GPT and be like, wait a minute, like that thing can do what I do. You know, like this could actually um, be a real problem for a lot of white collar workers. Uh, and um, it, if more energy ends up behind uh, UBI type policies as a result, I mean, I wish we could get ahead of this curve as opposed to being behind it. Um, we're right now in a in a political system that does not actually reward good policy. And that that brings us full circle to the beginning of this conversation and that senator being like, oh, you know, problems worth more to us uh, unaddressed than addressed. Um, so how do you get something uh, like effective policy? It goes back to what we're doing with Ford, which is, you know, uh, like we, we'd want to uh, have a system where people have to work for 51% of us instead of 10 to 12%. Um, but I do think the AI conversation is speeding up very quickly because people can see it in their own organizations
0: it's a great place to, to, to wrap. Uh, this has been a great episode. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, Andrew. For, for people who want to get involved, obviously they can donate. Uh, what are other practical ways that people can be uh, helpful um, in addition to
1: contributing? Well, uh, do check us out at forwardparty.com. Um, we have chapters in all 50 states. We're uh, especially active in California where we're looking to get on the ballot uh, by October. Um, There, our affiliate is the Common Sense Party. It's called, and the website is cacommonsense.org. You can also uh, reach out to me individually. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Andrew Yang. Um, I post every week on andrewyang.com. But let's fucking build the future that we're actually excited about. I mean, I sense your audience is a bunch of builders. And I was saying to folks, it's like, everyone and everything in politics is now fear and negativity based it's like let, let's cure this thing let's solve this set of problems instead of just living in fear and thinking like oh am i gonna like move to you know this place where like it, it, it you know the politics are saner and the taxes are lower fuck that shit like let, let's get to work
0: yeah that's uh I'm, I'm with you uh excited to contribute that's a that's a great rallying cry uh, thank you andrew so much for coming on the podcast thank you eric Upstream with Eric Tornberg is a show from Turpentine, the podcast network behind Moment of Zen and Cognitive Revolution. If you like the episode, please leave a review in the Apple Store. SecureFrame is the leading all in one platform for security and privacy compliance. Get SOC 2 audit ready in weeks, not months. I believe in SecureFrame so much that I invested in it and I recommend it to all my portfolio companies. Sign up for a free demo and mention upstream during your demo to get 20% off your first year. Now, more than ever, startup founders need a safe place to put their cash. Mercury protects your money and also provides the streamlined user experience that great founders expect. Through partner banks and their sweep networks, Mercury offers up to 5 million in FDIC insurance, which is 20 times the per bank limit. They also make it easy to invest any cash above the FDIC insured amount in a money market fund. 100,000 startups trust Mercury with their finances. I've been a happy Mercury customer and have found their team incredibly helpful and responsive. They even got an important wire out of purgatory on Christmas Eve. After all, your Christmas is my opportunity. Visit mercury.com to get started. Mercury is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group and evolved Bank and Trust members, FDIC. Marketer Hire is one of my favorite resources for growing startups looking to hire marketers. Hiring is hard and the time it takes from founders can be better leveraged elsewhere. Marketer Hire pre-vets top-notch marketers across a dozen roles. Whether you need help with growth marketing, SEO, lifecycle, content, or any other aspect of growth marketing strategy, it's free to use and you only pay if you end up hiring someone. If you want to hire a great marketer the easy way, Marketer Hire is offering Upstream listeners a $1,000 credit for first-time customers. Go to marketerhire.com upstream and use code upstream to get your $1,000 credit. Hey, everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts, To shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week, and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at ericaterpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at terpentine.co, and let's partner together.